0: We had the worst drop in labor force participation for prime age guys over this half century of any rich country. We are the outlier. Uh, This is an American exceptionalism we don't want to take credit for, but we have to.
1: This is R.J. McGill from the American Academy in Berlin, and you're listening to Beyond the Lecture. Men Without Work is the title of political scientist Nicholas Eberstadt's latest book, it's about the radical decline of employment in working-age men over the past half century. This worrying trend is not about a lack of available jobs, however. It evidences instead something even more worrisome, a decline in skilled labor, mass exits from the labor force, opioid addiction, and the resulting lack of motivation to work at all. Eberstadt is the Henry Wendt Chair in political economy at the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, D.C., and a senior advisor to the National Bureau of Asian Research. A Bosch Fellow in Public Policy at the American Academy in 2008, Eberstadt was back in early November as the Kurt Feermetz Distinguished Visitor. We sat down with him to discuss the origins and causes of the decline of work for American men.
0: The decline of work in America for men began in the mid-1960s and hasn't really stopped yet. And like any big historical event, there are a multiplicity of factors, of course, involved. We can't have a uh, one-factor theory of history here. Um, One big part of it, of course, is uh, structural economic change, globalization, decline of manufacturing, outsourcing, all of the things which we're very familiar with that's had an impact not just in the United States, but in every rich society. You can see a decline in workforce participation for guys in the prime of working ages, 25 to 54, in every rich country, at least to some degree. But that's not all there is in the US case. We had the worst drop in labor force participation for prime age guys over this half century of any rich country we are the outlier, Uh, this is an American exceptionalism, we don't want to take credit for it, but we have to. So things are going on in the U.S. that I don't think we can see uh, in other countries Uh, we have a multiplicity of different disability insurance programs and obviously they were established for the noble purpose of protecting people who were incapacitated and couldn't work Um, but they have mutated in the united states from that original intention so that now for example we see that Something like three out of five of the prime age guys who are neither working nor looking for work are on at least one disability program. There's another awful side to that. If you qualify for disability insurance, you also qualify for the U.S. low income government health program, Medicaid. And You can get a prescription for 90 Oxycontins uh, for one month. That's a lot for one month with an out-of-pocket payment of only $3. So the government in this awful way became inadvertently complicit in the opioid explosion and this is one of the reasons that the men who are not in the workforce report uh, about 50 percent of them report that they're taking a pain pill every day there's one final wrinkle i'd also mention we've all heard about the two and a half million uh, people behind bars but only about a tenth of the people with felonies in their backgrounds in the us today are actually behind bars we have another 20 million, maybe more. The government doesn't count this. Uh, It's horrendous that this isn't being counted. And this, uh, which has not been carefully examined, is another key critical component of the collapse of work for guys in modern America.
1: Everstadt's book addresses, at length, low employment for men. But how are women faring in the American workforce? And how bad are things now, really? What about the rates of employment and non-working men during the Great Depression?
0: I'm focusing in this book on guys, not because I'm trying to slight women. The, uh, the labor force situation for women in America has been pretty bad for the last almost 20 years. Uh, but the collapse in work for men goes back half a century and has been more acute. So that's why I focused on the men, at least for this first study. And this is how bad it is. If you look at the September 2017 numbers in terms of employment to population, any way you cut it, the work rate is lower now than it was in 1940 at the tail end of the Great Depression when the general unemployment rate was 14% in America. The unemployment rate is very low in the U.S. today, but for every prime age guy who is unemployed and looking for a job. There are over three guys who are neither working nor looking for work. This exit from the labor force, this not in labor force group, whatever you want to call the group, has grown three times as fast over the last 50 years as the working age population from which it is drawn. And an awful lot of the happy talk about unemployment today, I think, uh, misses the much bigger picture of what's happening to work trends as a whole because it doesn't take that missing component into into account.
1: Digitalization. The word alone signals technological disruption, automated factories, self-driving vehicles, and similar developments that are upending the world as we have known it. How does Eberstadt see this affecting the workforce and the problems he's researching?
0: There's always been a race uh, between uh, technology and education. And the people who tend to get displaced are people who don't have the skills to master the new technology and reap a profit from it. American men and women need to skill up in the United States, part of the problem we have with skills is the—I um, guess—suppose the charitable word for it would be the uneven uh, outcomes from our public K through 12 schools. Some of them are fantastic; some of them are miserable. That's going to be a challenge for every county in the United States. Given the U.S. federal system, I'm not confident there is a one uh, size fits all solution, but there's a general approach that can probably work everywhere.
1: Since digitalization has been and will continue to eliminate jobs, some countries like Finland and Sweden have been experimenting with UBI or universal basic income, a guaranteed fixed amount of monthly income for all citizens. I asked Eberstadt what he makes of this idea.
0: I have real doubts about this for one very particular non-economic reason. I've looked at the time use surveys, what men who are neither working nor looking for work say they do with their time. What do they do? About a tenth of them, and this this is about 7 million guys in the United States between 25 and 54, about a tenth of them are adult students training to go back into the workforce with higher levels of skill. Their time use looks like employed guys, basically. The enormous majority, however, are in this group the British call NEET, N-E-E-T, neither uh, employed nor in education or training. And for the 6 million-plus NEET uh, men, 25 to 54, it's really grim. They report they basically don't do civil society. They do very little in the way of worship or volunteering or charitable activity. Although you would think they had nothing but time on their hands, uh, they do surprisingly little uh, child care or help with others in the household, surprisingly little in the way of home chores. What they do is watch. They say they watch 2100 hours a year on average of stuff. About half of these guys also report that they're on some sort of pain pills or pain medication. So it's not just playing World of Warcraft all day long. It's playing World of Warcraft stoned. Yes, a universal basic income can meet people's minimum income needs, but that is only one of a multiplicity of needs they have, I think, to be achieving their full humanity. And, uh, and I'd worry very much if we uh, went down a policy road that encouraged people to detach more from civil society uh, than they already are.
1: That was Nicholas Eberstadt, a political scientist at the American Enterprise Institute and the Kurt Feermetz Distinguished Visitor at the American Academy in November. We spoke with him about his new book, Men Without Work, America's Invisible Crisis, published by Templeton Press. Be sure to tune in next time for a second discussion with Eberstadt about his other field of expertise, North Korea. This is R.J. McGill from the American Academy in Berlin. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Lecture.